Hey there, Lisa here. I hope you're staying safe and sane going on week four of Mecklenburg County stay-at-home order to slow the spread of COVID-19. WFAE is committed to keeping you informed each step of the way. For the latest on the coronavirus and its impact on the community, make sure to go to WFAE.org. With that said, let's start the episode. It's Thursday, April 16th, and some obstacles separate us from hosting the Republican National Convention in Charlotte. It's scheduled to start in 130 days. From WFAE Charlotte's NPR News Source, I'm Lisa Worf. And I'm Steve Harrison. And this is Inside Politics, the RNC in Charlotte. The country is in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, and social distancing means many, many businesses are closed. But the CEO of the Republican National Convention, Marsha Lee Kelly, said this week they're moving full speed ahead with the convention, even if it requires some social distancing. I'm feeling very happy about playing Tetris with the seats or, you know, whether it's social distancing or whether it's, you know, everyone having to wear a mask. Though for the convention to be a go, things are going to have to change a lot. So how will we know when it's safe to reopen? In this episode, we're going to look at how Charlotte and North Carolina could potentially ease restrictions and restart its economy, either this spring or summer. We need to try to find an appropriate balance. And it often seems like we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. We'll hear from two experts in the field, including epidemiologist Jeffrey Shaman with Columbia University. The rock is lots of people infected, an overburdened, collapsing healthcare system, and many, many people dying, versus economic destitution, high unemployment, and an economy that might not be able to recover for years from the shocks that we impose on it. We'll also hear from Mecklenburg Health Director Gibby Harris and look at the county's efforts to do what many experts in the field say is critical to reopening contact tracing. But first, the political tension. President Trump says he has the ultimate authority to decide when states reopen. But some Democratic-controlled states on the East and West Coasts are forming coalitions and plan to write their own rules about how and when to restart their economies. And in North Carolina, that red versus blue tension is playing out. A group in Raleigh, Reopen NC, protested this week. Police broke up the protest and tweeted that it was, quote, a non-essential activity. And the Republican chair of the Gaston County Commission, Tracy Philbeck, wrote Democratic Governor Roy Cooper last week, urging him not to extend the statewide stay-at-home order that expires April 29th. He wants Gaston to be able to make its own social distancing rules. It is my fault, instead of the state being led by Charlotte, Wake, Raleigh, and Durham, where you have these epicenters or these large spikes, you can't treat Charlotte like you do Cleveland County. But across the Catawba River, Mecklenburg County, which has all Democrats on its commission, isn't calling for relaxing the stay-at-home order. There's been almost zero talk about reopening. From everything that I know and and I see and I'm, I'm hearing, I don't think I'd be willing to take that chance. Mecklenburg Commissioner Mark Jurell. We'd look really crazy if we lift that stay-at-home orders too early and then we see a spike. So the big question when it comes to thinking about when we can reopen the economy is, has the demand on hospitals peaked in North Carolina? Steve, what do the models forecast? 
On one hand, there's the model from the University of Washington's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. It now says North Carolina will peak on Friday, April 17th. But of course, we won't know for sure until a week or two after that, and we can look at cases. What we have to look at is the number of COVID-19 patients currently in the hospital. That's not a number the county or hospitals in Mecklenburg County are making public. But we know the number of COVID cases isn't growing by a lot, and that one in five people continue to need hospitalization. And on the other hand, there's a forecast by a group of public health experts and epidemiologists from the public and private sector. It painted a much bleaker picture. 250,000 total infections statewide by June 1st, even with social distancing. And on Tuesday, Mecklenburg Health Director Gibby Harris said the county's own different model from the University of Pennsylvania shows the peak will be on June 8th. So which one's right? Well, the 250,000 number is based on the number of cases in the state growing by 8% each day, every day for two months. And that's happened at the start of the outbreak. But in North Carolina, and pretty much everywhere in the world where there's been social distancing, that number gets pushed way down. Mecklenburg's cases are now growing at around 2 and 3% a day. So unless something changes, that 250,000 number seems high. And the county's most recent forecast also assumes a really steep increase in new cases between now and April 25th. So if that doesn't happen, I think it raises questions about the June 8th peak as well. And on Wednesday, Atrium and Novant said they don't need a 600-bed field hospital. But the county says it may relax the stay-at-home order sooner than the expected June 8th peak. Okay, so at this point, it's hard to tell where we are on the curve. We just need to continue comparing the number of new cases and hospitalizations. That's right. But there's another factor to consider when thinking about the reopening of the economy, according to Jeffrey Shaman. He's the epidemiologist at Columbia. He says that's something called the reproductive number, or r not. That's the average number of people who would catch the coronavirus from one infected person. And if you can get it substantially less than one, you have some wiggle room. You have the room to say, okay, we got this under control. It's teetering along with certain numbers of cases. Most likely, we're not going to be able to wholly eliminate it, okay, because it's happening in clusters. But we now have the opportunity to try to reboot the economy, try to come out of our homes and do things in a more normal way. In other words, when the average person with COVID-19 infects less than one person, the reproductive number is less than one, and you can start lifting restrictions. Mecklenburg County isn't there yet, but the number of new cases is going up a lot less quickly, and there have been about 25 new cases a day for the past week. But of course, there's still a lot of undetected infections. Okay, so Shaman referred to a more normal way. What might a reopening look like? What's clear is that it likely won't be a full speed ahead opening with people congregating in malls, going to concerts and all that. That could undo all the social distancing. County manager Dina Diorio said Tuesday that even though they think their peak is June 8th, she said it's not realistic to have a stay at home order last that long. She and others in Charlotte and around the world are talking about a slow rollout where restrictions are laxed in two and three week periods. And what the director of the Center for Disease Control and a lot of epidemiologists agree on is that one of the keys to a successful reopening is contact tracing for new cases. 
Contact tracing means you attempt to recreate the contacts of an infected person over the last two weeks or so. Then you go find those people and test them and so forth. Here's Lee Riley, an epidemiologist at Cal Berkeley, on that. We need to know who these people are. Are these new cases occurring in people who are just not following the directives? Or are they occurring in households, you know, in families where one of the members of the family may be a first responder or be involved in some sort of work that requires close contact to the other people, such as people working in grocery stores and pharmacies, etc.? Or are these new cases occurring in certain neighborhoods uh, where the message has not been uh, publicized? Both Riley and Shaman say Mecklenburg County should begin a focused program today, even before things start to reopen. Riley points out that it's been three weeks since Mecklenburg's stay-at-home order, so the source of new infection should be easier to find. Mecklenburg does contact tracing for other communicable diseases. So isn't the county doing that with COVID-19? Yeah. Um, Mecklenburg County's health director, Gibby Harris, says her office is doing tracing for COVID-19, but that the county had to streamline the process as cases began to mount. All the interviews are done by phone. At one point, the state even said, we know that you're not going to be able to do much at all, but our staff has continued to do the contact tracing that we feel like we need to do, especially for high-risk individuals. When Harris says high-risk individuals, she means the elderly or people with underlying health conditions. If an individual went to the grocery store, we're not following up with everyone that they may have contacted, you know, that they might have walked by in the grocery store. But if they were in a work environment or in some other environment where they could potentially have exposed people, that's what we focus on. Does that cut it? Well, both Riley and Shaman said local health departments need to go deeper. They said there needs to be an effort to track down all contacts, people like grocery store clerks or the person who delivered someone takeout from a restaurant. And in theory, it should be easier now since we're under stay at home. That means that a person may have only had 10 or 20 contacts over a week-long period. Contact tracing is how South Korea has been able to keep its economy open while keeping the number of cases low. The country is adding only about 30 new cases a day in a country of 51 million people. But they're going real deep, a level that would require a big change in mindset in the U.S. Shaman says South Korea is doing the tracing in a way that the U.S. should consider. Even though it's a bit invasive and flies in the face of what we think of in terms of civil liberties, they're going into people's credit cards when they're found to be positive. They're going into their phones and they're finding out where they went and they're identifying their contacts based on that. And they're finding those contacts and they're testing and isolating them as well. That seems to be able to keep this thing in check. So right now, Mecklenburg has about 1,000 known cases, and the county has been adding between 20 and 30 cases each day for about the past week. So I asked, is it feasible for a county of a million people to do tracing for 30 new cases a day? He said he doesn't know the answer to that, but... There is a logistical issue associated with it, which is not just personnel. You have to have the testing kit capacity and you have to have the laboratory capacity to turn this around. And you would prefer to have a sensitive and specific test with a very rapid turnaround within a few hours. So let's first look at personnel. The Mecklenburg Health Department has seven communicable disease nurses, though it's training school nurses to do tracing investigations as well. Can we expect any other help? 
CDC Director Robert Redfield told NPR last week that the federal government plans to help local governments with contact tracing. He said the CDC has 600 people now helping states with this, but it will have to, quote, substantially amplify that. But Riley of Cal Berkeley says counties need to act on their own and hire and train more investigators right away. Right now, all these, unfortunately, all these unemployed people, and I'm just wondering if some of these unemployed people could be trained to become public health workers to do the contact tracing and so that they can identify who the close contacts are and then try to sort of monitor them and so that we can be more certain about which businesses could resume their work and which groups of people can go back to work. And right now, we're, we're totally blind. We don't know where the transmission is occurring. And, and if we had a way of really knowing that, then I think the society can go back to functioning like the way they're doing in Hong Kong and Korea and Japan. And he says public health departments already have programs to train investigators. They just don't have the manpower, but we could easily create this manpower. Harris is skeptical of that. In theory, that is a wonderful idea. In practice, it's very challenging because this is complicated work. These are investigators. It's not just a set of questions that you can run down through and collect the information. They really have to dig in sometimes and ask the next question and the next question and the next question to get to the answers that we're looking for. Now, let's turn to the testing. The most effective contact tracing would go hand-in-hand with extensive testing that could be turned around quickly. But Mecklenburg County, along with the rest of the U.S., has limited testing. It's going to take a while to get the number and the speed of tests up. Yes, but both Shaman and Riley say there are still benefits of aggressive contact tracing, even if you can't test people immediately. You can reach those deeper contacts and ask them to isolate or self-quarantine. And if you trace a couple of cases back to one event, you know you have a problem. We need to take a quick break right now, but when we get back, we're going to look at another test for COVID-19, one that some have been staking a lot of hope on for reopening the economy. And we'll finally get to this question. Would the RNC still take place with a soft open? That's just ahead on Inside Politics, the RNC in Charlotte. Hey folks, today's podcast was made possible by listeners like you. Thank you to the listeners who submitted their questions on WFAE.org slash Inside Politics. And thank you to the listeners who made a contribution to WFAE to support breaking news and in-depth reporting. If you're enjoying today's episode and learning something new from Inside Politics, the RNC in Charlotte, make sure to give this podcast a rating and review in your favorite podcast app. And if you want to support the podcast even further, become a member of WFAE with a donation of any amount. Five, ten, fifteen dollars, you name it. Just hit the donate button on WFAE.org slash inside politics. And thanks. Okay, we're back and we're talking about reopening the economy. We're focusing on a hunch called the immunity passport now. The idea is that there are hundreds of thousands of people who have had COVID-19 but had mild symptoms or were asymptomatic. So we would find people who have COVID through antibody testing and then allow them to work again or work in high-risk areas. Yeah, and that may work in hard-hit places like Italy or New York City, where 1% of the population has officially been diagnosed with COVID-19. But Riley doesn't think there's been nearly enough infections in North Carolina. 
even asymptomatic ones, for that to work. Even though we're seeing a lot of cases, overall, I don't think we're going to see a lot of people who are going to end up being uh, demonstrated to have been infected. I would say 5 to maybe 10% in any given region. Where you are may even be lower. So that's going to, you know, say <laughs> that only a small percentage of people are going to be able to go back to work. And then there's the question of immunity. Even if someone has built up antibodies to COVID-19, does that mean they're immune? And if so, for how long? We don't really know that just because you have an antibody against this virus, that you're indeed protected. There are a lot of infectious diseases for which we have an antibody and they're not protected. HIV is, you know, one good example. People have an antibody against HIV, but they're not protected from progressing to active disease and getting secondary infections and developing full-blown AIDS. And that's certainly true of the influenza, right? That's why we have to get a new influenza vaccine every year. North Carolina is going to try and see how many people have had COVID-19 without knowing it. Wake Forest Baptist Health said this week it'll begin a year-long random sample of 1,000 of its patients looking for coronavirus antibodies, an attempt to get a sense of how widespread the virus is and was in North Carolina. That's a priority of Republican Senate leader Phil Berger. And around the country, there's a theory or hope that the coronavirus has infected millions of people who are asymptomatic and that patients overwhelmed hospitals because the virus is so contagious, not because it's necessarily deadlier than the flu. That data should be intriguing, but we won't have it for a while. It won't guide us on how we reopen the economy this spring or summer. But there are some real-time things we can look at to see how the virus spreads, and that's the different responses in this country and around the world. Like Arkansas. The governor there, Asa Hutchinson, is one of seven who hasn't issued a stay-at-home order. There are pretty severe restrictions, though. School is closed. Gatherings are capped at 10 people. Bars and restaurants are closed. And they're encouraging the use of masks. Arkansas now has about 1,500 cases, and its trajectory looks a lot like Mecklenburg County. For the last week, Arkansas has been in the single digits in terms of percentage growth, adding 20 or 30 or 40 new cases a day. Of course, Arkansas is a pretty low-density state. North Carolina has four times as many people per square mile, so it's not apples to apples. But I think it's worth looking at it to see. Can you really slow the spread while letting people still drive to parks and letting them go to bookstores and places like that? I asked Shaman if it's worth looking at the Arkansas model. Absolutely. There there absolutely is benefit. What we're seeing because we have such a patchwork of responses within this country, as well as internationally, is a natural experiment showing us what happens in different societies with different intervention approaches. He says that we've focused a lot on South Korea and Singapore that have had success. But he's also looking at places like Arkansas and countries like Sweden that have fewer restrictions. There are places internationally that are going to be very revealing about this. There's been a lot of news about how Sweden has not imposed nearly the level of interventions that Norway has or Denmark has. And seeing the contrast or the differences that manifest in those countries But then on Monday, cases in Sweden jumped by 14%. That's an awfully high number for this late in the epidemic. It will be very revealing as to what is successful and what isn't. How much we need to compromise our normal economy to keep this virus in check and how much we can get away with not compromising it. Regardless of what model is used, both Shaman and Riley say things should roll out in stages in two or three week increments. That's, of course, because the virus has that long of an incubation period. 
So it will take that long to see the impact of allowing people more freedom to move. I asked Shaman about which venues or places would be the safest to reopen. And he said the restrictions on the number of people in retail stores will probably continue for months. And reopening schools would take some time, too. I don't see a radical reopening of schools and just saying, all right, let's reopen schools and see what happens. I think that's too much of a, of a mixing. There is a general consensus that having a lot of people inside is the most conducive way to spread the disease. But he pointed out there's still a lot we don't know about how the virus spreads. Which leads us to the RNC. As we've talked about before, hosting the convention isn't up to Mayor Vi Lyles and the city council. That will depend on Governor Roy Cooper and Mecklenburg Health Director Gibby Harris. Even if things have gotten much better, are they going to allow 15,000 people inside the Spectrum Center? And of course, it's not just about the number of people. It's about how close people are to one another. So let's say you could have social distancing inside the arena and only have 1,500 people. That would make for really terrible TV. <laughs> but as you heard earlier on this episode, the CEO of the Charlotte RNC, Marsha Lee Kelly, said this week they're going to have the convention, even if they're standing six feet apart inside the arena and wearing masks. We asked Shaman what he thinks of a traditional convention inside the Spectrum Center. I think it's a very bad idea. I think bringing that number of people together when we've had many examples of super spreading happening at mass gatherings is just not a smart thing to do right now. As long as we have a substantial portion of the population still susceptible to this virus, meaning that they have not been infected yet and recovered from it, those susceptible persons are basically tinder. They're capable of becoming infected, as we all know, and they're capable of spreading this broadly. You don't want your convention to go down as a super COVID-19 spreading event. Yeah. Shaman specifically mentioned the church choir event in Washington state early in the pandemic in March. There's a story in the Los Angeles Times about it, and it's one of the best pieces of journalism I've read about the pandemic. 60 adults came to practice for their church choir. 45 were infected by someone who appeared to be asymptomatic. Pretty stunning. Yeah. That was Steve Harrison helping us navigate COVID-19 and the obstacle it's created on the road to the RNC as political reporter for WFAE. Thanks, Steve. Happy to help, Lisa. That concludes today's episode of Inside Politics, the RNC in Charlotte. For continued coverage of the coronavirus outbreak and its impact on Charlotte, go to WFAE.org. And you can listen to this podcast every other Thursday and subscribe to Inside Politics, the RNC in Charlotte, on Apple Podcasts, NPR One, and WFAE.org slash Inside Politics. If you like the episode, make sure to give it a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Please take care and stay safe. Until next time, I'm Lisa Worf. Catch you real soon on the Inside Politics podcast, The RNC in Charlotte. <laughs>